going to start off by starting with a story. When I was a child, we had the magical experience of going to a place called Wildlife Prairie Park in Peoria, Illinois, with my grandma, Hare. And these trips, they were always something that us kids looked forward to. Grandma would pack a picnic Avanti sandwiches. Does anyone know Avanti's? Okay, yeah, good sandwiches. Chips and fruit, and grandma would make special K-bars, which some people call scotcheroos. And then we would, at this park, we'd look for bison. We'd walk the trails. We'd try to see the other wildlife. There was a little train that you rode through most of the park. We always went to the Golly Whopper, which was a 52-foot slide that was nestled into the forest. And then every trip always ended by going to the gift shop. Now, you may not know this, but years ago, birthstone jewelry had like a chokehold on like 10-year-old girls, okay? And so I would always go into the gift shop and I really wanted like a ruby or a diamond, but I'm an August baby, so I had to buy a Peridot. And so I had all these little rings and earrings uh, with this little green gem, but I loved these trips to wildlife with my grandma. It was such an incredible experience. And, you know, years later, way after these trips had stopped, we would reminisce. We'd say, oh, do you guys remember? It was just amazing. And we'd tell tales. Well, my brother got married and they had their own family. And, you know, he told his kids about wildlife. And so my sister-in-law is like, we should go to wildlife. Let's give the kids this amazing experience. And she was really excited to go. And so they planned a trip. And when they arrived to wildlife, Wildlife Park, my sister-in-law was confused because this was actually a rather sad and depressing looking park. The trails needed repair. There were very few animals around. Uh, the, the train ride was pretty pathetic. And she turned to my brother and she said, this is wildlife? This is it? Is there more? And it really reminds me of those expectation versus reality pictures that you've seen on social media, right? You know, my sister-in-law was expecting Yellowstone, and what she got was Wildlife Prairie Park. Now, we, we've had this happen in our lives before, right, where our expectation did not meet the reality that we faced. And sometimes it's funny, you know, and, or more benign. You know, sometimes it's like, you know, you go to a restaurant, and you're supposed to try their famous dish, and you try it, and you're kind of like, eh, it was just okay. Or maybe like my sister-in-law, you know, you really want to go to a location, you want to travel to a destination only to discover, oh, kind of duddy. But the truth is there are way more serious areas where when our expectation doesn't meet our reality, there can be real pain. For some of us, you know, we thought that this dream job was just going to be the thing that just really, oh, it was going to satisfy us only to discover that we hated it. Or maybe your expectation of what your family or kids or your friendships was going to look like has not matched the reality that you live in. A particularly painful place of unmet expectation is in the whole area of faith, where our experience of faith does not match what we hoped it would be. And that can be incredibly challenging. And I think over the last few years of disruption and division, there's been an uptick in this whole feeling of, is this it? Is there more? Is there more to life than this? And the scary thing is that the world is so quick to, to, to give us answers, to give us solutions, to have a meaningful and a rich and a fulfilling life. You know, the world says, oh, what you really need is a vacation. That's gonna solve your problems. And how many of you have gone on a trip and thought that was not it? 
Or the world tells us, you know, in order to be fulfilled, in order to feel feel like you have the more you long for, you just need the perfect body, the perfect spouse, the perfect job. And so we search after these things in hopes that they fulfill a need that is deep within us, and yet they do not. We feel empty. And we find ourselves asking the question, is there more? Is this it? And so I actually want to turn to what the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 3. He's praying over the Ephesians. And this is what he says. This is really interesting to me. Verse 18. And may you have the power to understand as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now, all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Hmm. So Paul is saying there is more, but there is an equation to more. We are built to understand and to experience love. And when we do, we are made complete in God. And in God, that completeness, his Holy Spirit works within us to produce infinitely more than we might ask, think. Other translations even say, imagine. And so what we are gonna do is we are going to explore the more over the next few weeks. We're gonna look at the greatest story of all time, the story of the gospel. The gospel literally means good news. And this news, the gospel of Jesus will change you if you allow it to. We will see that there is more. But before I get too far, I'm gonna pray and invite the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. And so Holy Spirit, we welcome you here today. We thank you for today. You have made today. And so I just pray for ears to hear and hearts to follow what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, here at the Vineyard, we have a mission. We have a goal. And it's to encounter love, experience transformation, and extend the miraculous. It sounds good. I know, I wrote it. I mean, I wrote it with a group of people, but I love it because it really encapsulates who we are and what our goal is, what our mission is. And we're completely committed to this. You know, it looks great on a t-shirt. It looks great on a coffee cup. But what does it actually mean? What we actually want to do over the next few weeks is we want to take those phrases, those words, and we want to explain them so that they actually become more than words. They become our reality. You see, here at the Vineyard, we believe in what's called the triune gospel. And what that simply means is that when Jesus went to the cross, he did three things. The first thing he did was he restored us to relationship with our heavenly father. This is called the relationship story. The second thing he did was that he gave us a new identity as new creations. This is called the identity story. And then the third thing he did was he enabled us to become carriers of his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now comes to live and dwell in us and help us carry and live out the destiny that he's pre-planned for us. And so we call that the destiny story. Now, you might not have known this, but our three statements, our three, our three mission statements, they actually line up with the gospel story. And so today, what I want to do is I want to look at this whole idea of more love. What does it mean to encounter love? 
What does that phrase mean? And how can it actually be a reality in our life and more than words? So what does encounter love mean? Well, to encounter something is to meet it face to face. So we want to meet love face to face. Whose love are we talking about? We're talking about our heavenly father's love. We're talking about the love of father God. So we want to meet love face to face. And what did we read in Ephesians? Paul says that we have to experience love and understand love. And when we understand and experience love, what happens? God makes us complete and full of him. And in his power, he then works within us to accomplish infinitely more than we could ask or imagine. And so this is really important. Here's the bottom line. You were made for love. It's how God designed you. It's how God designed me. We were made for love. We need love. It is actually in our very DNA. Every single one of us were made for love. And so this is actually really important that we understand love and we know how to experience love because in that, we will experience the more. Okay, so what's the problem? Well, the problem is, is that we try to encounter and experience love on our own terms. And I'm gonna talk about a couple of ways that we take missteps and we miss the Father's love for us and we take our own route of love. Okay, so the first lens or the first filter that we try to experience love through is the filter of preference. We try to experience and understand love through our preferences. And this is actually because of the world around us, right? The world around us says that in order to feel love, all we need to do is to do the things that make us happy, our preferences. We, you know, the things that we like, the things that we desire, that's actually how we can experience love. And so love gets boiled down to what I like and what I don't like. And the way that we love another person is to let them define what is love in their life? That's the most loving thing to do. So love in the world's eyes is complete control to do what you want to do when you want to do it. And so this is how we try to understand and experience love. You know who has bought into this definition love of hook, line, and sinker? My three-year-old. And I'm just gonna be real transparent here for a second. I became a mother 14 years ago today, and let's just say I'm a different mother now with this last little bonus baby that surprised us all, okay? Molly's definition of love is, I do what I want when I want to. And I have a picture to, to, to illustrate this point. Um, so here's the thing. In Molly's life, she feels loved when she gets to pick her own way. And what she was gonna pick is every day she's gonna ask, is it a jammy day? Now, what you need to know is this is simply code for, am I going to school or do I get to run my own life today? And so she says, is it a jammy day? And she wants every day to be a jammy day because she wants to stay home and do what she wants to do. Secondly, she never wants a brush or a comb to touch her hair. She has very naturally curly hair. The other day, I kid you not, I got the brush out of the drawer. She reopens the drawer, puts the brush back in and shuts the drawer. And she just tells me, just put a pony in it, mom. Just put a pony in it. The way that Molly feels loved is that I let her do what she wants to do. 
She chooses, it's her preferences. Now, maybe you don't have a toddler, but you might have a teenager and you might have heard something like, if you love me, you'll let me. You know what's so funny? That's exactly what we say to God sometimes. If you love me, you'll let me. And this is what the lens of preference does to us. We start dictating what love looks like in our lives. We say, no, it's my way or the highway. And, and culture says, hey, listen, you want the more of life? You want the good life? You gotta just embrace life the way you wanna do it. That's how you're gonna find happiness. And what happens? We end up fe feeling very empty. And we end up asking ourselves, is this it? Is the point of all of this, I'm just gonna be happy and do what I want? Is there more? But that's not the only issue that uh, we struggle with when it comes to how we try to experience love because there's another ditch that we commonly fall into. And this is when we are in the perspective of performance. You see, we believe that our love is directly tied to how we perform. So the message of performance is this, be good, be loved, be bad, no love. And what ends up happening is we build our lives. We try to experience and understand love through this filter of performance. And it is a relentless taskmaster. It makes us do, do, do. And we constantly feel the weight and the burden of, okay, have I been good enough? Um, okay, no, I wasn't good enough. Okay, the pressure's on me. I have to be, behave. And if I don't behave, then I don't belong to God. And so we try to experience and encounter love through this filter. And it's, it's equally as damaging as the preference filter. And it's a heavy burden and yoke to hold. When we believe that we have to encounter God's love through our performance, we often live in pain. And it's often a secret pain because on the outside, things look good. But on the inside, we're slowly dying under the weight and under the pressure and asking ourselves these same questions. Is there more? Is this it? Do I just have to get on this hamster wheel of religion until the day I die and just hope that I'm pleasing God in the process? We find ourselves saying, is there more? And the good news is there is more. Now, remember, you were made for love. I am made for love. We need love. So we need to understand and experience love the way the Father intended us to us. We need actually an encounter with love. And our path of either preference or performance, it's not gonna get us there. And so what we actually wanna look at is we wanna go to scripture and we wanna look at what God says about how we encounter his love and what his love is actually like. So I'm gonna take us to Luke 15, and this is where we're gonna be hanging out today. And I'm gonna share the story of the prodigal son with us. Now, this is, you know, a kind of, common story. Maybe you've heard it before. And if you have heard it before, Father, give us fresh ears for what you have for us today as we look at this story. Now, Jesus is speaking in parables. Parables are stories that he often taught in. And he is trying to explain the incredible love of the Father. And it's almost inconceivable, okay? So I think context is helpful as we get into the reading of this uh, parable because it helps us understand what the listener would have actually heard in the moment. So remember, Jesus is teaching to Jews. He's gonna be specifically teaching to some religious Jews. And the big story of the Bible is this. In the beginning, God created everything. He created man and woman, and we were created for relationship. 
We were created for love. He wanted a big family. But when Adam and Eve sinned, sin separated them from God and they could no longer walk in intimacy with their father. And so what ended up happening was God created a covenant with Moses. Now, some of you are familiar with the 10 commandments. Yes, but you might not know that there were 613 laws that the Israelites had to follow in order to be in right relationship with God. I mean, my children can barely do the three chores a week that I ask them to do. Let's have a little bit of grace for the Israelite people, okay? So I want us to know this. In their mind, they are programmed to believe that it's through performance that they encounter God. It's through what they do is how they encounter God. Now, in addition to the laws, they also had to do sacrifices to atone for their sins. And they did this over and over again. And this is where humanity lived for hundreds of years before Jesus comes. Now, Jesus comes, he shows up on the scene and suddenly he's like hanging out with people who aren't good, who aren't following the rules. And Jesus is seemingly disregarding the rules. And so the religious people are extremely confused and they're like, huh, what, what is God really like? And then Jesus tells them this story. I'm gonna read and then I'll stop along the way and we'll see what the Holy Spirit wants to highlight. Okay, I'm gonna start in verse 11. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Quick pause. If we do not understand Jewish culture, we're not actually gonna understand what Jesus is trying to say. Okay, we can read this and think like, oh, what an entitled kid. I mean, what a kind of like punk, you know? But that is not how a Jewish person would have heard this. This was unheard of. This was as if the son was saying to his father's face, I wish you were dead. It'd be better if you were dead. Then I could do things the way that I prefer. And I prefer to do them differently. I want my money and I want it now. And what is so interesting to me is that the father allows him to go. He allows him to choose. You know, so often when you talk to people in the world, they say, well, you know, God's controlling, you know, God's this, God's that. But actually what we see here is that God actually is all about freedom. And he allows this son to choose because at its core, love is about choice. And so the father says, yes, I will divide it and I will give you the money. Okay, let's keep reading. This is verse uh, 13. A few days later, this young, younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Okay, so the son goes to experience and understand life on his own terms. He goes, he takes his, his, his money and he goes and he parties. He does what he wants when he wants to. And he is having a good time until he's not. Because you see, sin has consequences and your preferences are not his preferences. And so what ends up happening is is he ends up in a desperate situation because he's gone against his father's will. He's gone against what his father wants for him and he's lived life his own way. He said, you know, I prefer my own way. 
And he ends up, again, if we don't understand Jewish culture, you miss this. He ends up working with pigs. Now, pigs were completely seen as unclean, detestable in every way. And Jesus is using this animal on purpose because he wants us to know how desperate this man was in this moment. He was desperate that even the pig food was starting to look good to him. And yet no one helped him. Let's keep reading and see what happens next. When he finally came to his senses, I love that part. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food, have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. You see, when he's in that pig pen, I can imagine him saying, is this it? Is this all there is? And he realizes, no, there is more. There is more, and the more is actually in my father's house. You see, when he was done with the pleasures of life, when, when, he, when, he was, when he was done putting his preferences and his pleasure above his papa, he returned home to love himself. And he realized, you know what? I no longer have to live by my preferences. I can return home. And so what happens next? Verse 20. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. What happens? He encounters love. I love to imagine the son practicing this, this part of the story. Like he's walking home and he's like, okay, this is what I'm gonna say. This is when I'm gonna say it. Okay, he's probably sweating. He's feeling anxious. He's feeling nervous. When he looks up, he's almost home. He sees his father barreling towards him. Now, again, in the Jewish context, this was unheard of. Men did not run. Fathers did not chase their sons. They did not give them a bear hug and a kiss and greet them with this warmth. And yet this is what Jesus is saying that our heavenly father and what his love is actually like. The father embraces the son. And, and again, the son, like you imagine, like he's kind of like, okay, wait, okay, okay, good. I got a warm greeting, but I still got to like, I got to go in with my speech. And so, you know, he's like, dad, I'm not worthy to be called your son. And his father won't even let him continue in that line of thinking. He says, stop. And what does he do? He says, bring out a robe. And what this robe symbolizes is it's the robe of righteousness that Jesus makes possible for us to be made right with God. He says, put a ring on his finger. And what this ring symbolizes is you are part of my family. You're not a servant, you're a son. He says, put shoes on his feet, which symbolize this is a holy moment between a father and a son. And then he says, this fat, get that fattened calf and get it ready because we're about to have a barbecue because my son was lost and is now back. And what, what Jesus is doing in this moment, he's actually doing symbolism for what he's about to do. Remember, Jesus is talking here. 
He's, he's teaching to, to people in this moment. He has not yet done the work, but what he is doing is he is foreshadowing what he is about to do for us. This is the relationship story of the gospel, that a father so loved his children that he sent his only son to not judge the world, but to save the world. And what Jesus is gonna do in this moment is Jesus is going to go to the cross. And one of the things that he does is he's gonna restore us to right relationship with our father. And this love, it's not based on our preference, it's based on his provision. And actually love is not defined by our preference. Love is defined by his preferences and he has preferences. And so when we say yes to his family, we say yes to his preferences and we are joined with him. And this is what was happening in this moment. You see, we were made for love. There is a God-shaped hole in every single one of us and we try to fill it with our preferences. We try to fill it with pleasure and it's always gonna leave us dissatisfied. It's always gonna leave us in this place of saying, is this it? Is there more? There is more. And the more comes from doing something that is very simple, but very hard. We're gonna humble ourselves and we're gonna receive this love. We're gonna humble ourselves and we're gonna receive this love. You see the son who was living in his preferences and his pleasures, he had to humble himself and he had to receive the father's love. And it changed him. And in this, we see a beautiful picture of who our father truly is and the love that he longs for each of us to actually encounter. The story of the prodigal son is actually a story of encountering his love. But most of you know that the story doesn't end there. There's still another part to this story because Jesus is going to go after that the other dilemma that we talked about. He's talking to religious people who believe they have to perform for God who believe that it's based upon their efforts that God is going to love them. And so let's finish the rest of this story and see what Jesus has to say about our father's love. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. He asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. You see, religion tells us that it's through our performance that we're going to experience and understand God's love. Religion says, be good, be loved. Be bad, no love. And this message would have been deeply embedded in those religious leaders of Jesus's day. You know, the the son is mad. And he's confused. He doesn't understand how his father's love works. You know, he's like, is my brother being celebrated for making terrible choices? He can't figure out the equation of the father's love. What, What are the rules by which we are playing? You know, here I've been a good son all these years and I've done everything my father's ever asked and he's never even given me a little goat to have a party with. 
Does my father reward bad behavior? Does my father's love actually permit us to do what we want when we want? How am I even supposed to treat people and interact with people if this is the way that my father loves people? I I like to imagine how confused the, the religious leaders must have felt at this point. Remember, from their own perspective, Everything that they've built their life around is around the law. It's around keeping the rules so that you could be in relationship with God. The older brother wrongly thought that his father's love for him was based on his good behavior. He wrongly thought that his father's adoration for him was based on his faithfulness. But in this moment, Jesus flips this paradigm and explains the powerful truth that encountering his love has nothing to do with performance. Encountering the love of the Father is simply humbling yourself and receiving it. Now, does anyone feel kind of bad for the older brother? I do. I feel kind of bad for him. I feel kind of sad for him. And I think it's probably because I've struggled with performance in my relationship with God. For a long time. You know, when I was growing up, you know, I really wanted to be a good girl. I wanted to do the right things because I really wanted God to love me. And I wanted, I wanted to have a good life. And I thought to myself, you know, if you are like a rules person or an equation person, so often this is one of the traps. We get sucked into this lens of performance. And so we think, okay, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to journal. I'm going to go to youth group, which you should totally go to youth group. We have an amazing youth group, but that's not the point. The point is, you know, I'm going to go to these meetings. I'm going to do all the right things. I'm going to do, 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 do. And if I do all of that, God's going to love me. Wrong. God already loves you. You see, it's a different humility, but it's still humility that says, I receive your love for me, Father. Even though I didn't earn it. Even though you love when I do things to get to know you better, to serve you, to serve the world. You love that, God, but that isn't what you base your love on for me. You see, performance has us in this race with ourselves, and there's never a winner. I found myself wanting to behave more for the Father than belong to him. I found myself wanting to serve him more than being a son. But the scariest thing when we wrestle with this whole perspective of performance is this, we can miss God's grace for ourselves and God's grace for others. Because we put on the judge's robe, we judge ourselves, but we also judge others. And I wanna say today there is freedom. Some of you are here, right here in this moment and, and, and you're feeling worn out. And you're feeling like, you know what? I've kept up my end of the bargain and I wish God would keep up his, but you know, I just feel like I'm just constantly doing, doing, doing. And I just never know if it's good enough. Well, that's because you have the wrong equation when it comes to God's love. It's not be good, be loved. It's simply be loved. And actually from there, you're gonna be good. This is just a little tangent. You know what? Any gospel that preaches that you are saved based on your performance is a false gospel. You are saved by Jesus when you believe in him. And when you believe in him, you know you belong to the family of God. And when you belong to the family of God, your behavior starts to change because you actually lay down your preferences and you pick up his preferences. It's not about your performance. It's actually about Jesus's performance. But that's hard and that, that's hard and it's confusing and, and it, can, it, can really, it can really stretch us. And so today I wanna say there's grace. There's so much grace. Whether you are someone who, you know what? You are living in your preferences. 
You have defined your life and you're realizing that's empty. Or maybe you're a person, if you have actually you know, felt like you had to perform to get God to, to love you. There's freedom for both sides because the story of the prodigal son is a story of encountering love. I, I love, look, look at what the father did to the older son. In love, he went to the son. When the son was mad, he went to him. In love, he said to the son, hey, come on out, join us. And in love, he explains to the son, everything I already have is yours. All you have to do is humble yourself and receive this love. This is uncomfortable. This is the type of love that makes you uncomfortable. Like where you're like, I don't deserve this. You're right. We don't deserve it. And yet he loves us. And he loves us, he loves us, he loves us. And he wants us to encounter his love because he knows we were made for love and it will change us for life. Do you long for more? Do you want to be fully satisfied? Do you want to stop asking yourself the question, is there more? Then what we have to do is we have to experience and understand love in a fresh way. And I'm gonna go back and what I'm gonna do to us is I'm actually gonna read Paul's words over us. I'm going to pray them over us as we head into a time of worship. This is Paul's prayer. Just in in a posture of receiving, if you want to put your hands out, you can, hands on your heart. This is my prayer for us as the Vineyard Church. And may we have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May we experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then we will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Jesus, this is our prayer. That we could encounter your love, that we could know how high and wide and deep and long and rich your love is for us. God, for times that we've allowed our preferences or our performance to dictate this love, to try to understand it and experience it through those filters, we just repent. And Father, right now, I just thank you that you want to encounter us afresh with your love. You want to show us who we are and who you are. And so we just invite you now as we worship you in spirit and truth. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.